I want you to be brutally honest. How many of you in your lifetime have ever even slightly embellished or exaggerated what you do in a job in order to impress someone? Anyone ever done that? Show of hands. Almost all of you. This is outrageous. Well, for your entertainment, here are the top five exaggerated job titles in a recent poll. And I want you to do is see if you can guess what the actual job is. So here's the first one. Should be appearing on the screen. Number one, media... Should be there somewhere. No? Okay, you'll just have to listen very carefully to me. Number one, media distribution officer. Any ideas? Newspaper deliverer, that's right, okay. Uh, Number two, transparency enhancement facilitator. Window cleaner, you're good at this. Uh, What about this one, mobile sustenance facilitator. Uh, Grocery lorry driver kind of thing, yeah, sandwich person, yeah, all of those would work. What about this one, gastronomical hygiene engineer. Uh, Dishwasher. And last but not least, colour distribution technician. Painter decorator, that's right. Now, we can kind of chuckle at all this, but I think for many of us, we do determine our worth, don't we, by our work. It's like people tend to judge us by what we do. One of the first questions that we meet someone, they ask, what what do you do? And, And so we can be tempted to kind of slightly exaggerate what we do to impress. We're always trying to beef up how important we are. In fact, I saw an article very recently that said most of us tend to actually inflate the number of hours we work, because saying we work a lot, again, kind of makes us feel a little more important, a little more significant, like, yeah, I, I work 70 hours a week, because, let's be honest, the world would just collapse if I gave everyone a mere 40 hours of my time, you know? I, I think it's fair to say that our society is one of the most overworked, the most workaholic societies ever produced. There's this constant pressure, isn't there, to take on more responsibility, to work harder, to work longer, which is why I think today's passage is going to be highly relevant for many of us. If you remember, we're uh, doing this series working through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written to a bunch of first century urban people who are so weary with trouble and difficulty in life, they're in danger of giving up and walking away from their faith altogether. And it's pretty obvious from today's passage that the writer is trying to help them find rest, because he uses the word rest Uh, an incredible 15 times in a mere 11 verses. This is something he wants them to grab hold of. Any of you doing a bit of rest right now? Any of you interested in a bit of rest? Yes, you're too tired even to put your hands up. Slowly you got there. Well, let's dive into the passage. Let's see what it says about rest. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So, we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Anyone have any idea who the them is referring to here? Any ideas? Children of Israel. People of Israel who 
if you remember, had been rescued from captivity in Egypt. They'd been led by God to the brink of the promised land, but it didn't go well for them. It, it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it's ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, on the Sabbath, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua, who, if you remember, ended up leading the people of Israel into the promised land. If Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So, let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now, let's be honest, this is a slightly confusing passage, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know about you, it perhaps get a little lost with all the references to, to rest that looks like it's in the future or in the past or in the present, and it's quite an involved argument. So, Really, I've got two things I want to do in this talk to try to explain and make this a little clearer for you. First of all, I want to actually take a step back and try and explain to you what this concept of Sabbath is that I think is so foundational to the argument in this whole chapter. I want to show you what the Sabbath is all about, why it's the source of rest, why it's so important, because I reckon if we understand that then we'll understand this passage a whole lot better. So that's the first thing I want to do. And then second, having hopefully helped you understand all of that, I then want to explain to you how you can actually enter that Sabbath rest and benefit from it in the here and now. Because let's face it, a whole bunch of you, just a few moments ago, in public, in front of everyone else, put your hand up and admitted that you could desperately do with a bit of rest right now. So part of my job is to help drag you into rest, kicking and screaming today. Now just to say, one of the battles I've got here is a lot of us probably feel that the Sabbath commandment is the optional one in the set. Like all the other commandments, probably, if you think about it, you've got to keep them. But this one, 
well, it's a bit awkward, a, a bit unnecessary, a bit out of date, not so important. Let me prove it to you. Imagine the conversation in your life group. How are you doing? Oh, fine. Just sleeping with my neighbor's wife, but other than that, everything's going well. How, how about you? I'm doing pretty good. I, I murdered a guy the other day, but beyond that, th things are fine. I'll just say, if you're visiting, uh, this is an imaginary conversation. Where, where, uh, don't worry about the kind of church we are. That's a conversation that would never happen, ever. But here's one that's commonly heard around the church here. How are you doing? You're yeah, fine. Just really tired. I mean, I haven't had a day off in ages. Like, that's okay. It's like, for whatever reason, we feel that the Sabbath commandment is optional, that we can just go ahead and break it whenever it's not all that convenient for us. So don't miss this. The practice of Sabbath is important. We are still called to honour and obey all of the Ten Commandments. That's kind of assumed as a given in this passage we've just read. But the bigger point here is how all of this is going to be fulfilled in Jesus, and how ultimately we can find rest, real rest, genuine rest, lasting rest in Him. And really, that's the point of this message, It's how you can find rest in Jesus. Now, all that being said, I think we are going to miss something of the richness of this rest in Christ if we don't first fully understand the significance of the Sabbath. So, let's begin by looking at the development of the Sabbath through the pages of the Bible. If you remember, whole concept of Sabbath, it actually goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. Verses 3 and 4 here remind us that God created the world in six days, and then if you remember, He rested on the seventh. And through Moses, a little while later, God commands that we do the same. In Exodus 20 verse 9, for example, it says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, why? What, why did God tell them to rest on the seventh day? Let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, the Sabbath reminded them that God was the point. We were created for God. Really, everything we do in all of life is to be for Him. And I think sometimes, in the sheer busyness of life, we can get a little bit ahead of ourselves and we forget that. We get so consumed in trying to pay the bills and raising the kids and meeting the next urgent deadline. And so, one day a week, God commands us to rest from our labor. And think about why God has set us here in the first place. Listen, Sabbath isn't a rest from our primary pursuits in life, Sabbath is ultimately why we're alive. We weren't created primarily for a job, we were created for God. And so, Sabbath reminded them, and in fact us, that God was and is the point. 
So one day a week, we're to stop everything and remember that. Because I think the moment we forget it, everything else in our life is going to unravel. So first of all, the Sabbath reminded them that God was the point. Second, the Sabbath also reminded them that God was the provider. Now, when God commanded them back then to take a day off, I'm pretty sure people would have objected. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, these crops aren't just going to harvest themselves. Times are tight. It's pretty hard trying to provide for my family. I mean, to cut your productivity by a seventh wasn't particularly sensible. It wasn't a particularly prudent thing to do then or now. But God commands us to do this because He never, ever, ever wants us to forget that ultimately we depend on Him and not ourselves for provision. So He instructs us to work six days to provide for ourselves by natural means, but then to take one day off and let Him work. To take one day off and do nothing. Nothing when we could be doing something and sometimes feel like we ought to be doing something. It's like in that moment we are saying to God, God, I'm choosing to do less than I'm able to do because you commanded me to. And ultimately, providing for me is your responsibility. And so, I'm going to pause and give you space to provide. So that's the first couple of reasons for remembering the Sabbath. But in the book of Deuteronomy, towards the beginning of the Old Testament, in chapter 5, verse 15, God revealed another purpose for the Sabbath. It says this, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with His strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Really what we see here is that the Sabbath was given to God's people to give them space to reflect on their salvation. First and foremost, that God had accomplished it all by Himself. It was the Lord, their God, who brought them out with His strong hand and powerful arm. I mean, just think about it. How much did they, how much did the people of Israel contribute to their deliverance from Egypt? I mean, did they contribute to any of the plagues? No. God did it all by Himself. Uh, The act of ultimate deliverance, the Red Sea, did God do it like this? Did He say to some of them, okay, you guys, half of you, I want you to stand on this side, and on the count of three, I want you to blow as hard as you can on the water. The rest of you, stand on this side, uh, and when they're blowing this way, I want you to blow that way. Let's see if together we can try and get this water to part. No, that's not how it worked. God did it all by Himself. And they were to stop for a day each week to reflect on the fact that their greatest need was met by God all by Himself. It was God alone who had accomplished their salvation. It was like this constant weekly reminder that if God did this for them in their moment of greatest need when they were slaves, don't you now think that God will provide for them now that they've been rescued? Of course He will. So on that day, they were supposed to stop and think about how good God was that He had saved them, 
and they could surely keep trusting him to keep providing all that they need. And then linked with this, the Sabbath was also a weekly reminder that they were now free from slavery. In verse 3, where it says, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. That's God warning the Israelites in the wilderness, saying, if you keep rebelling like this, you're never going to see the promised land. You're never going to get to this place of physical and social rest. Now, don't forget, when the people of Israel were in Egypt, they were being worked into the ground no rest at all, no days off, just constant work, work, work. And God, in giving them rest on the Sabbath, his point in Deuteronomy 5.15 is that it's a declaration of their freedom. And anyone who now chooses to overwork is effectively putting themselves back into slavery again. It's like, when we rest, when we put our work down on the Sabbath, when we voluntarily choose to down tools one day a week, we're saying, I am not a mere cog in a machine. I'm no longer a slave to the materialistic society in which I live. I'm not a slave to the whole identity system of my society. Rather, I'm choosing to declare the freedom that comes from my identity in God. I am not a slave. In other words, when we truly rest, is a revolutionary act. God brought the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt into a land where they could rest, where they could put some limits, some boundaries around their work. And the Sabbath acted as a weekly declaration of their freedom. Now, if we look again at our text in Hebrews, we see there was also a fifth purpose for the Sabbath. Don't worry, I'm only going to give you five, so this is the last purpose of the Sabbath uh, before we get to the main point of the message. Uh, the fifth purpose of the Sabbath, verses eight and nine, says this, now if Joshua succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So Joshua got the children of Israel finally into the promised land, and that brought them immediate physical rest, and it was wonderful but there is still a deeper rest, a rest that goes beyond the physical, a rest that goes beyond the social. Verse 9, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. The rest he's talking about here, that the final rest the ultimate rest, the supreme rest, the rest that all of these other things really are merely pointing towards is only found in relationship with Jesus. And so fifthly, the Sabbath pointed forward to the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is the source of ultimate rest. If you look back up to verses 2 and 3, we read, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Now look, I acknowledge all of this is slightly complicated, but don't miss the basic message here. The basic message is that believing the gospel, believing the good news about Jesus has the potential to bring us 
into a place of eternal rest. And the good news is that we get to experience at least a foretaste of this eternal rest right here, right now, in the present. It's the deepest kind of physical rest, emotional rest, spiritual rest, but it can only be got through believing the gospel. So we've seen the purpose of the Sabbath. It's a reminder that God's the point. It's a reminder that God's the provider. It provides space to reflect on our salvation. It's a reminder that we're no longer slaves And through it all, ultimately, it points forward to Jesus, who is the source of true rest. The all-important question then is, how on earth do we enter this true rest? How how do we actually get it? Well, I'm going to quickly give you another five statements, uh, this time about Jesus. Five statements about Jesus that show you how practically he's your ultimate Sabbath, to show you how it is that you can today find true rest in him. So for all of you who have acknowledged that you're pretty exhausted, and I know talking about rest, a bunch of you are yawning and about to drop off anyway, hang on in there with me. You, You said you want rest, so it's worth listening to this. Here are five things about Jesus that if you truly believe them, will bring you, I promise, to a place of ultimate, deep, lasting rest. Ready for that? Okay, here's the first one. Number one, Christ is my righteousness. How do we enter this true rest? need to believe Christ is my righteousness. You know, we spend so much of life, don't we, self-justifying. It's like, All of the time, we're we're trying to show that we're good enough, that that we have value, that that we have worth. And you know what? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's alluded to here in verse 13, where it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we're accountable. If you remember the first effect of the fall in the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve becoming suddenly aware that they were naked. I mean, up until that point, they were clothed in the love and the acceptance of God. They were oblivious to their nakedness. But the moment they sinned, the moment they sinned, they were separated from God. They found themselves separated from His love, His acceptance. At that point, they frantically started trying to cover themselves. And that right there, I think, is a pretty graphic picture of our entire life. All our life, we we have this sense of maybe not quite being good enough, feelings at times of of being a bit guilty, a sense of not being valued by others, this nagging sense of shame. So all of life becomes this quest to clothe ourselves, to justify ourselves, to show why we are important, to show why we are better than the average person to try and gain honour for ourselves. Listen, the gospel gives you rest from all of that. Because it's all about Christ clothing you with His righteousness. You see, Christ restores to you the love and acceptance from God that you have craved since birth. You perhaps 
didn't even know that's what you were craving. But really, that's the root of all your desires to get ahead, to find relational intimacy, to be praised and affirmed and accepted by others. All the time you've been looking for the approval and acceptance that ultimately can only be found in relationship with God. And Christ gives it to you as a free gift. He gives you right standing before God. He takes away your sense of nakedness and shame before Him. Don't ever forget, He bore all your guilt and shame on the cross. And He gave you, in return, His righteousness, so that today you can stand complete in Him. Which is why it says in verse 10, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. What does that mean? Does it mean that as Christians we don't work hard? No, it just means I'm no longer working to justify myself. I'm no longer working to try to earn my place before God because that's already been given to me as a free gift in Christ. Number one, Christ is my righteousness. Second point, Christ is my identity. I think one of the reasons we can never rest is we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. And as I explained at the beginning, one of the primary ways that I think often we try to make ourselves feel significant and worth something is through our work, isn't it? It's like we're constantly fighting to prove ourselves and feel good about ourselves and establish our identity, and you don't need me to tell you that's just tiring. That just gets exhausting after a while. But the gospel speaks in a profoundly different way to us. It says, you today are held in the highest regard by the highest being. You know what that means? I don't actually need your approval to feel good about myself anymore. I I don't need anything besides Christ to get an identity. Because if he's on my side, who cares about the opinions of others? And so I can rest, because Christ is my identity. And really, until you get that, no amount of holidays or leisure pursuits are ultimately going to work for you, because your body might be resting, but your soul is still going to be in turmoil, And really, that's what's causing most of your anxiety, most of your worry, most of your stress. Let me give you an example. I take my day off on a Monday. And for many years, I've got to say, I didn't find my day off particularly rejuvenating. And that was because, if I'm being honest, my identity was tied up in how good my sermon was on the Sunday how much feedback positively I got on it, how many people came to the meeting. And so even when I wasn't doing anything on my day off, I was still restless. Unplugging from activity didn't unplug me from the pressure to be someone. It's like even when I was resting, my soul was still frantically hard at work. Listen, when your soul isn't at a place of rest. Holidays, leisure time, days off aren't restful. 
they're just distractions. They're merely an escape. They're, they're a bit like a drug. That they, they mask it, they cover it up for a little while, but eventually, when you know you need to go back to work, you can feel that inner turmoil and anxiety and worry building up again. Because your soul isn't at rest. Now, the good news of the gospel is that Christ and Christ alone can provide you with inner rest. Because He's given you a new identity in Him as a dearly loved son or daughter of God. And so, without Christ, effectively you will still work even while you're resting. But with Christ, you can rest even while you're working. How do you find lasting rest? I believe that Christ is my identity. Number three, Christ is also my security. Christ is my security. You know, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Romans 8, verse 32. It says this, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he now also give us everything else in him? This is like what we saw God say to the Israelites, actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He said, if you remember, think of it like this. If I cared enough about you to deliver you from slavery all by myself, don't you think I'll take care of you now so you can rest? Because you know that there is a Father in heaven who bears the weight of responsibility to keep on meeting all of your needs. I mean, if God saved us when we were his enemies, don't you think he'll give you everything you need now you're his child? Which brings us back to the Sabbath commandment to take one day off a week. One of the ways you you can tell if you believe deep down that God is your father is demonstrated by whether you take a Sabbath day. Are you thinking, well, it's just impractical. You don't understand. I I can't afford to take off the time. I think that's why God tells you to do it. So you can give Him the space to provide for you. Can I tell you, one of the main reasons why I think some of you are perhaps so stressed, I suggest, is because you carry a weight of responsibility that God never intended for you to carry. God designed you to need Sabbath so that you could remind yourself weekly that you are not God. So won't you unplug from all the activity, at least once a week, as a demonstration that your security is found in Christ? That's the third thing. Here's the fourth one. How do you find rest? believe that Christ is my hope. Christ is my hope. I'll focus more on the rest we can get right now if we believe in Christ, but really all of this is a mere shadow of the full rest that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate promised land. I don't know if you spotted this, but there is a pretty stark warning here in this passage 
Remember, Israel fell from the promised rest of God because of the disobedience of unbelief. It resulted in a whole generation of them kind of wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness. And I think the same thing can happen to any professing Christian. And so to keep this from happening, and really to show that we're more than mere professing Christians, at every stage of this book, the author of Hebrews keeps appealing to us to think carefully about Jesus. Won't you consider Him? Please fix your eyes on Him. Focus on the true significance of Jesus. It's a constant, repetitive theme through this book. To quote a guy called John Piper, the Christian life is a life of day by day, hour by hour, trusting in Christ to help us and guide us and take care of us and forgive us and bring us into a future of holiness and joy that will satisfy our hearts infinitely more than if we forsake Him and put our trust merely in ourselves or in the promises of this world. And that day by day, hour by hour hope in Christ is not an automatic thing. Really, it's the result of daily doing our best, making every personal effort to keep trusting in Christ. Because ultimately, all of our confidence and all of our hope for all of eternity, it rests in Him. Christ is my hope. And then fifthly and finally, because of all of this, Christ has really got to be my priority. Remember what we saw earlier, that the Sabbath taught them that God was the point of it all. It's of paramount importance that we learn to stop every once in a while and ask why we're doing what we're doing. But I find it amazing, even in my own life, how many times I can fail to ask the most fundamental questions. Like, where's it all going? What is it all for? Why am I actually here? I don't think we ask those questions nearly enough because we're so caught up in the busyness of life. I tell you, there is tremendous wisdom in taking advantage of a day a week to unplug intentionally from all the busyness and intentionally remember the point of it all. Because if you're pausing at least once a week to remind yourself that life is about God, that God's glory and God's purposes through it all are the point of it all, surely it will help protect you from making wrong turns. I don't know, maybe the move, maybe that job will give you more money or better career prospects or a better lifestyle. But if it's not good for the kingdom of God or for your family, well, those things are God's bigger priority for you. And Sabbath is like this weekly reminder that He's your priority. Over and above everything else, He's the priority. Now, for many of you, perhaps this is where your faith will become real. Or it moves from kind of theory out there somewhere to a reality in here. Listen again to how the writer of the Hebrews puts it in verse 1. God's promise of entering His rest still stands. 
So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Israel, you see, tragically failed. They wouldn't believe this stuff. But they made the mistake of thinking they still had to build their own identity and provide their own security. But they made themselves a priority. And they didn't enter into the gift that God had offered them. They missed out on the promise of rest. Will you? Will you? Because this morning Christ offers you rest. He will be your righteousness, your identity, your security, your hope, your priority. That's his gift to you. It's a source of true rest. But every gift needs to be personally received. And so in the words of verse verse 7, today, right now, when you hear his voice, please do not harden your hearts. Today, will you enter into his rest?